The following is a hoop bowl presentation. What is going on? It is the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast coming at you on a Wednesday late afternoon in Los Angeles. Brandon Marcus, your host, pleased to be joined by Sabrina Merchant. Excited to have Sabrina back on. We've talked about having her back on, was trying to get it for a couple weeks. Both of us were busy in certain weeks, but finally, Sabrina, we have made it work. How are you? I'm doing very well, Brandon. Thank you for having me back. Of course. Glad to have you back. Sabrina, of course, writes and does podcasts for SB Nation. Incredible work over there. So if you want to check out her work, please feel free to do that. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Before she goes off the air, she'll tell us a little bit about where you can find her specifically. But we have a lot to cover on this show. So we're going to get straight into it. The Clippers The schedule has been released. I know it was a couple of days ago, but we're going to hit on that. We're going to hit on the Patrick Beverly trade because we have not recorded since that trade. And also, we're going to talk Jeopardy. Last time I had Sabrina on, I said we're going to have one podcast dedicated completely to Jeopardy. We're just going to talk about her time on the show. But then, of course, many things have happened. First of all, the schedule was released. Second of all, the Clippers made a trade. Third of all, we have a major Jeopardy controversy that Sabrina and I have to hit on. So we're going to try and hit on everything. If we don't get to the details of her appearance, we talked about it a little bit last time she was on. We're going to do it again, I promise you, at some point, because the season doesn't start for a couple months, and so we will make it work. But Sabrina, let's talk some hoops first. Let's talk with the Clippers. Let's start with the Patrick Beverly trade. Kind of seemed like it came out of nowhere. At the same time, it didn't seem like it came out of nowhere because the Clippers had so many players on their roster. They had to get rid of a couple of them, so they trade away. Pat Bev, Rondo, and Daniel Oturu for Eric Bledsoe. I want to get your initial take on the trade, and then I'll kind of offer where I am on it, because I feel like I'm very much in the minority. So where are you on this trade? So I had written about a month ago when we were doing the season reviews of each Clipper at our site um, that I didn't think Patrick Beverly was long for the Clippers. Uh, It just seemed like... They were clearing out everyone who had predated Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to sort of remake the team in their image. And whereas like longevity and continuity may be an asset on other franchises on the Clippers, it seemed like almost working against Pat Bev that he, you know, predated the two of them and was part of an era that did not involve those two stars. And so it was not surprising to me at all that they got rid of him. um, And to do so in like this consolidation trade where they get a player who, I mean, is is fine. You know, uh, Eric Bledsoe was like fringe all-star at best with the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I think that's very clearly like Eastern Conference all-star, not what would pass as an all-star in the Western Conference. But he's a player who provides a lot of pressure on the rim, who can defend. Uh, He's younger, more athletic than Patrick Beverly. It's more durable than Patrick Beverly. So I think it's uh, a good fill-in. I mean, I don't think he's as good as Patrick Beverly just because of the shooting. But like, if you were going to have to get a point guard on this market to be able to get Bledsoe you know, at a price where he's he's not really due any money next year, so it's, it's basically like a one-year rental, I think the Clippers did about as well as could have been expected 
Um, I don't think they had to like waste any assets on this, right? Like it's not like Daniel O'Toole was somebody that the organization really valued clearly. So uh, to like clear their roster glut and to get a player who fits with what they're trying to do, even if I'd argue that's not as seamless of a fit as it was with Patrick Beverly is pretty good business. Yeah, I would agree. And there was a lot of Patrick Beverly love throughout Clippers Twitter, Clipper Nation, wherever you are and you're a Clippers fan, everyone really loves Patrick Beverly because he is that grit and grind um, that the Clippers showed a couple of years ago and their never-give-up attitude and their hard-nosed defense and just the energy that they needed. When the Clippers didn't really have a leader on the floor, it seemed like Pat Bev would be that guy. And he was incredible in the series against the Suns and against the Jazz, whenever they needed him to go against Mitchell or go against CP3 or go against Booker, he did a really nice job. And the Clippers, you mentioned, Rondo and Oturu, don't even need to discuss them. Rondo was useless. I thought the Clippers needed a guy like Rondo to give that veteran leadership, to steady the ship so that they wouldn't lose in the fashion they lost last year. Not the not last year that just finished, but the year before that, we're a 3-1 series lead. I don't think that happens with a guy like Rondo, um, but he just switched from playoff Rondo during the regular season to regular season Rondo during the playoffs, and it was a disaster. So it really is Patrick Beverly for Eric Bledsoe. And with Patrick Beverly, my biggest concern, and you brought it up, was his availability. And it seemed like time after time during the regular season and the postseason, the last couple of years, the Clippers couldn't count on him. And I understand what a guy brings on the floor and how important he is. And there were times where you could say Pat Bev was the third most important Clipper behind Kawhi and PG. But when he's not on the floor, that just puts so much extra pressure on the rest of your rotation. And I think it hurts a lot. And the Clippers had to try and incorporate Pat Bev late in the season. And now you got a guy like Eric Bledsoe, who's been healthy for the majority of the last several years. Obviously not the talent that he was initially when he was with the Clippers. And then when he left, he obviously has a pretty high ceiling. And he didn't quite get to that ceiling. The Bucks traded him away. They got Drew Holiday. They ended up winning an NBA title. So clearly they got better by getting rid of Bledsoe. But my take is, and it really seems like availability is really important here. In a year where you're not going to have Kawhi Leonard, you need a guy that's going to be able to score along with Paul George, Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, whoever else you have on the floor. And it seems like Bledsoe can do that. He can play both point and shooting guard. He can defend as well as most guards that you would want to see at his position. He's athletic. I think all of those combined makes me think that this is actually a pretty good deal. And of course, it's worth mentioning the Clippers saved $30 million in luxury tax and they create an $8.3 million trade player exception that they'll have a year to use. So that's important as well. So overall... I think the Clippers, Sabrina, came out pretty well with this deal, even though it does suck to see Pat Bev go. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because this deal like preceded the Celtics extending Marcus Smart, and I know that like <laughs> there's there's differences between them as players. You know, uh, they I sort of think of them together just because of the type of veracity and like defense they provide on their teams and. Um, Marcus Smart is such a fan favorite in Boston and whatever you make of the deal that they gave him, whether it's an overpay or not, 
I do think that Celtics fans are very happy to have one of their favorites back on for another four years. And even if you think the Clippers are doing a good job of building this roster, and like you said, I, I do think that Bledsoe is a good fit on this roster. I, I'm a little worried about the shooting, but there's so much shooting at other positions on the Clippers roster that like, if you just put Bledsoe and Ibaka lineups, it should be fine. But the point is like, no matter how much sense this roster makes, the fact remains that the longest tenured Clipper is Ziviz Zubac, and he joined the team in February of 2019. And yeah, like, you know, you don't expect players to stay with one team forever anymore. Like the, the length of the contracts obviously makes that a lot more challenging, but it is just a little frustrating as a fan to have this level of turnover. Mm-hmm. And that really is just what the only thing that bothered me about the trade was that, oh, there's another guy who seemed like he really wanted to be on the Clippers, right? Like there were rumors that Pat turned down extra money when he was a free agent in 2019 so that he could remain on this team. And then not being able to retain any of these guys for the long haul it's just a little disappointing when you're rooting for a team to constantly have new players coming in. And so that that's really the only thing that sort of bothered me about this trade. But, you know, from a basketball perspective, I, I'm with you. I think I think the Clippers did well. I don't care about the luxury tax at all, but that traded player exception is actually pretty interesting because the Clippers are so capped out that there's no way of them acquiring a player who makes that amount of money had they not created this exception. So, like, now you're in a situation where you know, let's say somebody who makes that amount of money becomes available. Like you don't have to perform any cap gymnastics to acquire him, right? Like it just gives the front office another tool to work with, which is quite valuable when you're a team that's willing to spend like the Clippers. It's interesting you bring up the turnover thing because that's actually not a point that I've seen brought up often. So I'm glad you did bring it up. Um, You look at super teams and it feels like that's done a lot. I mean, I'm trying to look at the Lakers and – you don't see many guys on that team that were there three, four years ago, the pre-LeBron era. You know what I mean? It's it, just LeBron. He's yeah, the longest tenured Laker. Exactly. And it just seems like with those stars that come in, those guys really handicap your salary cap. And so because of that, you have to work around those two guys with other players and try and find the guys that are willing to take those minimum type deals or those cheap contracts to try and win a title. I mean, you've seen it time and time again, whether it was with Miami or with Cleveland with Lakers now, and you can even look at the Clippers with what Nick Batum and the salary that he took versus what he probably could have gotten if he got the most money from somewhere else. I think he really enjoyed what his time with the Clippers and you need guys like that, that, that will take less. And those guys don't want to take less for three or four years. And that's why you see some of the turnover that the Clippers have had. So I, I, I think you make a good point and that it's nice to have the chemistry and not to have that type of turnover. But at the same time, it feels like you're kind of forced to when you're paying Chris uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard as much as you are. It, it kind of handicaps you a little bit. And the interesting thing with Bledsoe is he's another guy that very similar to Batum, the guys that have had previously very good years and the Clippers are kind of banking on a player getting back to the type of player that he was. I mean, he's not going to get to the same play that he did in 2016-17 where he averaged 21 points and over six rebounds with Phoenix. But he certainly is capable of being a pretty good dude. And last season, 71 games, 12 points, nearly four assists per game. And he's a guy that has 
been on the floor and played over 70 games in three of the past four seasons. And when you're with the Clippers and you have Paul George, who's a little injury prone and gets his minutes managed um, and sits out some games, you have Kawhi Leonard out. You have Ibaka, who's hurt, and we have no idea when he's going to come back. You have Batum, who's a little bit older. You need those types of guys that are going to play and be available. And that's why I think it's really important that this deal was done, because I think Bledsoe's a clear upgrade in the availability department. Of course, he'll go and get hurt, because that's the Clippers' curse. But that being said, you just need a guy who's going to be available. And that's you can't say the same for Patrick Beverly. And that's why I think it was important to get a guy like Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, in addition to the names that you mentioned, I think Marcus Morris probably also stands to get his minutes managed a little bit. You know, he missed the start of last season and then was also a little gimpy during the playoffs. And then, like, the Clippers have three rostered rookies. I don't think you can expect any of them to last through an 82-game season completely healthy because they just hit rookie walls, right? Like, they've only ever played 30-some-odd games in their high school or collegiate seasons. So that's... Like seven players who deserve some type of load managing during the season, you know, counting Kawhi, who's probably not going to be available during the regular season. So, yeah, to get a guy like Bledsoe, who you can just count on to be there every single day, and, like, that that's important. And I, I like the fact that he's been on championship situations, right? Like, when he was on the Bucks, they had contending aspirations. And, yeah, he, he flamed out during the playoffs real bad. But during the regular season, he was a really capable floor general. And... This is just a better situation for him, I think, than what he had in Milwaukee because the best player on Milwaukee is someone who operates mostly in the paint. And the Clippers superstars operate on the perimeter. So that gives Eric Bledsoe a lot of room to get to the rim himself, which is what he just didn't have on his previous stops. Like the level of spacing the Clippers provide makes everyone look so much better. And it's going to do, I think, wonders for Eric Bledsoe's game. I have to believe that his defense struggling last year was just a product of new Orleans being terrible on defense and him not really caring at all. Uh, you know, it'll get like that Nick Batum bump where now he's in a situation where they're trying to win again and he'll try harder. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's only 30 or 31, which uh, apparently is like young on this Clippers roster, or like fairly average. So I, I think it'll be good. I think this is a, a good place for him. Um, he was one of my favorites when he was originally on the Clippers. I was so disappointed that they, let go of him in that J.J. Reddick trade. Yeah, me too. Uh, but yeah, it's it's cool to see him come full circle. Yeah, I was glad to see him come back. And you mentioned the shooting, and that's what a lot of people are mentioning, that the shooting could be a problem. He shot 34% from three last year. The year before that, 34.4. So 34% again, and then 33% the year prior. So the, the shooting is definitely something that people are concerned about. But he's ended up shooting a couple of years ago, shot 48% from the field. And that's despite 33% from three. And that's because of his ability to get to the rim and, and get to the painted area. And to have a guard that's able to get to the painted area and then kick it out to those shooters, boy, that could be massive. Because we know the Clippers want to hit the paint and then spray to the corners. And that's exactly what Bledsoe can do. So that'll be really important. And I'll be curious to see where he fits in. Um, if he ends up starting or coming off the bench. I'm guessing he'll probably come off the bench and they'll start Reggie Jackson. And we'll kind of see where they go from there. But nonetheless, it's nice to have that option where you can have Paul George on the floor with Reggie Jackson sitting and Eric Bledsoe is able to get him the ball in the corner, get a guy, get Ibaka on the ball in the corner, Marcus Morris, whoever it is. So it'll be good to see Eric Bledsoe with his team. He may not be a guy that needs to shoot a bunch of threes. He, he certainly could be open and he'll take a couple of them. But with his ability to penetrate and get to the paint, it's, it'll help the Clippers for sure. Um yeah, I'm really curious as to who the Clippers are going to start yeah. on opening night because I could see it going a couple different directions. Uh, 
you could just basically take the lineup that they had against Phoenix, mm-hmm. which was um, Pat, Reggie, Paul George, Morris, and Zubac, and just replace, um, you know, Beverly with Bledsoe. Or you could go a little bit smaller um, and play, I'm not more smaller, a little bit bigger, I should say, and play Terrence Mann instead of a traditional point guard. Um, so there's a, there's a couple options there. I mean, maybe they'll even try to start Ibaka again like they did at the start of last season, although his back surgery may inhibit that. But um, I, I am interested, like, just where Bledsoe slots in because there's a few perimeter players on the Clippers who I think deserve to start. And whether he just, like, gets handed that opportunity immediately will be interesting to me. Yeah, and Ty Lue's done a good job with lineup, so we'll see what he does. I mean, you could always start Batum. More than likely, they won't do that. Uh, it's not often, I think, during the season. I I'm, could be making this up, but I feel like that Batum and Morris didn't sc- start a bunch of games together. feels like it was one right. or the other, so it, it'll probably end up being one or the other. So we'll see. Um, certainly some options. Before we get to the Clippers schedule, let's take a quick break. Talk about our friends over at my bookie. Ever since I started this podcast, people are always asking me where I'm betting, and they're asking me for betting tips. I'm telling them I'm going to my Bookie, the rep is rock solid. They've got the best odds, contests, promotions in the business. The only place that I trust to handle my NBA-related bets, the one sportsbook guaranteed to give me the best lines for any game I want, whether it's the Premier League, whether it's college basketball, the NBA, MLB, whatever you want to bet on, they've got it. The Ryder Cup is next month. They're going to have bets on that. They'll have live in-game betting. They've got blackjack. Whatever you want, it's there. Simple. Sign up. Enter the promo code HOOPBALL. Get your deposit matched halfway up to a thousand bucks. You need a little bit of help. Hit up the guys at the Hoop Ball Gaming Department. Devin does a great job there, and you can get out, get that wager pass, and get those inside tips to win you some money. Head over by Bookie if you want a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best. Bet with my bookie. All right, Sabrina, let's talk NBA schedule. Boy, the Clippers did not get any breaks at all from the schedule makers. It is unbelievable what happened. When the schedule came out and everybody went through it and saw the Clippers have five, five in sevens during the regular season. Nobody else has five. Nobody has four. That's my first impression from the schedule. If you look at the five games and seven nights breakdown, Clippers with five, four, zero, Chicago, Cleveland, Dallas, Houston, Portland, San Antonio with three, courtesy of my friend Justin Russo at Fly By Night. So that's my biggest takeaway from the schedule. Curious to get yours. Um, My biggest takeaway was that the NBA no longer treats the Clippers as a primetime commodity without mm-hmm. Kawhi Leonard. Uh, they're not on the Christmas Day slate. They're not on opening night. They are not on any of those Saturday ABC primetime games when football is over. And uh, the national TV numbers are just a lot lower than they have been over the last two years. So even though this is a team that was competitive in the conference finals without Kawhi Leonard, um, evidently the NBA does not see them as worthy of a Final Four anymore. So that was my first takeaway, that there is a clear demarcation between the contenders that they want to see on national television and the Clippers, which was a bit surprising to me. You know, I would have thought that their playoff success from a year ago, again, so much of it without Kawhi Leonard would have guaranteed them a little bit more national recognition. Uh, And then my second takeaway is that (laughs) all of the afternoon games are back. Yep. Um, That was my, I was going to be my second takeaway as well. Goodness gracious. uh, 
this was literally the first thing I wrote about on uh, Clips Nation when I saw the schedule was just, I, I have such strong memories of this one back-to-back the like the Clippers played in January of 2020. Memphis and New York. Um, Memphis and New York, right. Yep. And they got just wrecked by Memphis. Um, there was like a big locker room hubbub afterwards. All of the profiles about the Clippers chemistry collapse basically date to that game. Mm-hmm. The next day, Doc comes in. He's irate. You know, uh, he's, you know, saying that, this would never happen if we had our own arena. They go and like almost lose to the Knicks. Paul George fouls out and it ends up being this Lou Williams Montrezl Harrell special to bring him home at the end of the game. But yeah, like it was a back-to-back, you know, 12:30 slate. They have another one of those this year in January, Memphis again and Atlanta. Uh, and it's part of nine afternoon games, I believe, that start before 1 p.m., which like it's one thing when you get that 12:30 slot on you know abc on sunday national tv we already mentioned the clippers aren't getting those national tv slots so it's just random ass early games which really to me was oh yeah this is why they're building the arena in inglewood because it is just disastrous scheduling nobody likes their body clock to be thrown off like that when you're consistently playing in the evenings and then have to restructure your whole day to get this day game i mean Hopefully the testing requirements are a little less stringent for them this year. So they're not like, you know, coming into the facility at 11 PM to get tested and then coming back in the morning for the games, but it's not great. That's a really good point. The testing, because that is exactly what happened. And if you're getting tested at 11 o'clock at night, and then you're expected to play a 12 o'clock game the next day, and these guys have a routine. I mean, I listen to the J.J. Redick pod. It seems like all he does is talk about the routine that he's got and the nap that he's taking and the meal that he's getting and what time he's going on the floor. And some of that gets thrown off when you've got this game. And you bring up the Memphis-New York slate, and I will never forget it because I was at that New York game. And mm. it, I think Marcus Morris put up over 40 points against the Clippers. Um, in that game. It yeah, there like, was this audition game. We yeah. were joking that it was the Jay Crowder audition on Saturday and then Marcus Morris on Sunday. Yep, Marcus Morris went ballistic, and I will always remember that game. And that is a back-to-back that I noticed right away as well. The first thing I tweeted when I saw the schedule was they've got seven home weekend matinee games at 12, 12.30 tips. Brutal. Then you add in the couple of road games they have, that start at 10 a.m. Pacific time, and the mm-hmm. Clippers have nine of their 82 games that start at 12.30 or earlier Pacific time. Just absolutely brutal. And you combine that with the five, five, and sevens, and the Clippers' schedule, frankly, the schedule itself is going to prevent the Clippers from being a top-four seed, in my opinion, because there are going to be so many schedule losses You look at that road trip where they have to face off against Toronto and Boston and Brooklyn twice, I believe it is. I mean, you're asking the Clippers to go one and four or two and three on that road trip. It's unfair. I don't know how it happens. And you mentioned the the national TV games, and that's certainly a way where some teams get away with having a late game and then having a day off. And that helps them with all this mess of a schedule, but... Oh, man, Sabrina. It really seems like the top four seed, it, even though it's going to be difficult in the first place without Kawhi Leonard, it feels like it's near impossible the way this schedule has broken down. 
Yeah, and I was just really bummed about you mentioned like that Brooklyn and Toronto game on New Year's Eve and then New Year's Day. Yeah. Uh, those were a couple games that I was just looking forward to the most as a fan. Like you look at this week, they've got Denver on Sunday, Brooklyn on Monday, then they go to Boston on Wednesday, go to Toronto on Friday, and then Brooklyn on Saturday. Boston, Denver, Brooklyn, those are games that I circle every time they play against the Clippers because they're always good, Yeah. right? And to have, so that's a five and seven, right? To have, you know, three road games, both the Brooklyn games on one week, on the, you know, spanning New Year's Day, it's just, they're going to be lower quality games. And it frustrates me because they should be marquee events. And for some reason, you know, the Clippers have these like pockets of rest, you know, you know, just sprinkled throughout their schedule. Like they got four days off before that Denver game. So it's it's just a very weird situation that they've got these big pockets of rest, you know, combined with these five and sevens. And for the five and sevens to include so many games that otherwise would be awesome was very annoying when I looked at the schedule. Yeah, it sucks. It's really, really difficult the way the schedule is going to break down. And you mentioned that December 26th uh, is when the Denver thing starts and it goes Denver, Brooklyn, Boston, Toronto, and then Houston, or rather, um, and then against Brooklyn. It, it sucks. It, it's brutal. And if Justin's uh, numbers are correct, there are seven teams that have zero five and sevens. How do you have zero seven teams with zero five and sevens and the Clippers with five five and sevens. I don't know how yeah, you I, make the schedule. I don't get it. I don't know how you make the schedule and think that's that somewhat makes sense and, and that somewhat is fair. I mean, you look at the one five and seven and there are almost 10 teams, maybe even more than 10 teams. And, and one of them includes the Lakers. You look at the zero, by the way, Boston and Brooklyn are, are one of, or two of those teams that don't have any mm-hmm. five and sevens. It's really crappy. It, it really feels like the Clippers have to get off to a good start. That Golden State game will be tricky to start, to start things off. But then you go Memphis, Portland, Cleveland, Portland, OKC, Minnesota, Minnesota, Charlotte, Portland before you face Miami. It feels like the Clippers absolutely need to win eight or nine of their first 11 or 12 games to even have a shot at, at getting a good seed. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, their, their schedule definitely is front loaded. You know, a lot of home games to start. And they, they just have to take advantage. I, I completely agree. And the good thing is, like, there is a significant amount of continuity at the top of their rotation from last year. So it's not like they're going to be inputting a whole lot of new systems. You know, same coach, too. Uh, so I, I think they should be ready to go relative to some other teams that have had more turnover. Uh, but, yeah, it's just, I mean, I'm just looking at the list again. And, like, some of these stretches are just nightmare like no. i expect the grammy trip to suck every year right oh, for sure but the grammy trip is like compounded by the fact that the clippers are playing at home on martin luther king day again not a national tv game just a random afternoon game on that monday and but they have all of these road games sandwiched around this one trip home which is is silly to me because like why would you make them come back to la when they've been on central time for so long but anyway um I I have to believe that the schedule is made random as possible, right? Like there are certain days that are not available for each arena because of concerts and whatnot. Yeah. But it's not like the league is trying to make this difficult for some teams relative to others. Like I, I firmly believe that it is as 
equitable as possible, but you just can't look at the schedule and think like, wow, it's rough. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. It's brutal. Um, I wanted to chat about it briefly because I think it was worth bringing up how the Clippers really drew the short end of the stick, and it's going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. They're lucky that they have um, everybody on their team that basically was there last year, and that'll certainly be important. But no Kawhi Leonard, and to have that type of schedule, I, I would not be surprised the Clippers end up as the six or maybe even the seven seed. Um, it's going to be difficult. I would probably, if I had to guess now, I would say they end up as probably the six seed um, because that schedule mm-hmm. is so difficult, but we'll see. Um, one last thing that we have to discuss, and we have about 10 minutes probably to do so, is Jeopardy. I can't have you on without talking about Jeopardy. What the hell has gone on? I mean, it is a total disaster for a show that you were on and has so much prestige under Alex Trebek to go and just do what they did by hiring Mike Richards, who was the executive producer, and they knew that stuff was being written about him during the process and people were unhappy that he was even being considered. But to then go ahead and still hire him. But luckily, The Ringer wrote this long story that went through his old podcast, exposed some of the stuff that he said um, about women, about Jews, on and on. Finally, they got rid of him. As someone who has been on the show and as someone who is a huge Jeopardy nut like you, how did you just take the last couple of weeks and how it went down and viewing your favorite show and what has happened to it. So it's been hard to watch the show with the guest hosts relative to, you know, what it was before. Yeah. Um, because so much of Jeopardy was wrapped in Alex Trebek, even though he liked to say that he wasn't the star of the show, the contestants were, but it's like, he's the man you're welcoming into your home every evening. And it's very strange to have, a different cast of hosts doing that, especially when they change so frequently. Um, There's just a certain lack of comfort with the guest hosts that, you know, didn't exist when Trebek was hosting the show. So like I, I've gotten to the point where I I'm a regular daily Jeopardy watcher. I will TiVo it and watch it, you know, like a couple hours later, just so I can, you know, get through the commercials. But I, I got to the point where I was like a month behind on episodes and I, I didn't even feel the the need to catch up immediately because it just wasn't as fun to watch with the guest hosts as it had been before. Yep, same here. And I like to think that that would have changed once they hired a permanent host because at least then there's a measure of consistency, right? Like, you know what you're getting every night. Um, I think they went with Mike Richards just because they didn't want to have a celebrity running the show, right? Like, the whole point of Jeopardy is that the contestants are the attraction. And so if you hire someone with name recognition beyond Jeopardy, then all of a sudden they become the star and they take away attention from the game itself. Mm -hmm. So I understand why they went with Mike Richards, how they missed all of this stuff in his bio, like before he got to the show, how they missed that all when they hired him as the executive producer, which he is remaining in that role, even as all of this nonsense has come out, is beyond me. It is baffling that the show would have missed all of these red flags. The fact that they let him tape the first week of shows for next season, having seen the ringer piece, is crazy to me. Um, and like, I, I guess that just suggests that there was 
you know, it was it was harder for Jeopardy to operate that year, you know, with COVID and with Trebek getting sick, like they they missed things, but this is a big miss. And I'm glad that he's not going to be the host because nobody wants to see him hosting the show for the next however long. I always assumed that Jeopardy would have to have like their their bad pancake in the middle, so to speak, like their their Billy Guthridge, their Brad Doherty before they get to the next good guy. Yep. Um, and I was fully prepared to hate the next host, but like I was prepared to hate them because of their mannerisms, not because of like who they were as a person. Uh, and it's it's very disappointing that the show would have aired this badly, this publicly, and then still keep Mike Richards on as a member of the show when we know all of these things about him. Like it still leaves this this stain on the show, knowing that he's still a part of it. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and I don't understand why he's still around, and it's interesting you bring up the whole um, have someone in between and then bridge to somebody later on that'll be there long term, and this always gets brought up in sports. I mean, I don't know if you can tell me who replaced Chick Hearn as the Lakers play-by-play broadcaster. Are you? Do you, do you know that one? It's a good trivia question. Was it... Uh... <laughs> Was it um, Paul Sunderland? It was, yes. So, okay, yeah. yeah. So Paul Sunderland is not talked about very often, but he's the one that replaced Chick Hearn, and and nobody really talks about the guy that comes afterwards. And it doesn't happen often mm-hmm. where the guy that follows the legend is that good. And LA's gotten pretty lucky because with Joe Davis replacing Vin, Joe has been mm-hmm. tremendous. And then you look at the Kings, and Bob Miller's gone, and Alex Faust has been really good as well. So He's been great. Yeah. It, it doesn't happen often where you find broadcasters that can replace legends and do as well. And I mean, you even look at the Clippers, Ralph Lawler. I mean, Brian Seaman has done tremendous uh, as the replacement. And I, I've always loved Brian. He's a friend of the show. So it doesn't happen often, though, when you have a legend that um, is replaced by somebody that ends up being there long term. And I thought all along, before this even started, Sabrina, I thought that Ken Jennings was the obvious choice. 100%. I mean, it, it seemed like the no-brainer decision. And then he had his couple of weeks as host, and he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it, it ensured even more that this is the guy that's going to replace Alex Trebek. Ken Jennings was the guy that was the winner. He was the personality. Everybody loved him. He did a great job as host. It, it seemed like a no-brainer. And then you had other people that came on, people like Aaron Rodgers, for example. Uh, LeVar Burton seems to be a fan favorite. I actually never watched his week because just like you, I think I have 150 episodes that are currently on my DVR. It got to the point mm-hmm. where we, my wife and I just kind of stopped watching. Um, but you had those guest hosts that people were like, oh, well, maybe it will be nice to have them. And of course, Mayim Bialik, it was excellent when she was the host, in my opinion. And she was actually named as the one that would be the host of the celebrity type shows and the tournaments um, when Mike Richards was not the host. And so people thought, okay, that's great. You got a female in there, someone that's good and name recognition, but it really seemed like Ken Jennings was the no brainer from the start. It still seems like that's gotta be the decision, right? Like you go back to Ken Jennings. You can make this all right. It's so easy. You go on Twitter and nobody wanted Mike Richards. I don't know how they do a focus group. And say because the focus group would have said yes, Mike Richards, not the guy. Doesn't make sense. Ken Jennings is the guy. It seems like it's still the no-brainer, right? Yeah, I I was flabbergasted that Jennings wasn't the the favorite all along. Um, 
you know, he had that bit of controversy before his episodes aired of like some of his old tweets resurfaced and like his podcast co-host, uh, the bean dad guy. I, I don't even know exactly what I'm, There's like a minor controversy with Ken Jennings. Mm-hmm. And to think that like that made him unlikable among the Jeopardy like viewership, but all of the Mike Richards stuff was not disqualifying is absurd. Uh, if, if they want to like retain the brand of Jeopardy, I just think it makes the most sense to have a former contestant, whether that's Buzzy or because I thought he was great too. He was good. Or Ken, you know. Um, I, I think having a contestant carry on the mantle makes the most sense. Um, but I mean, like you, there there were some guest hosts I, I liked quite a bit. I, I thought Savannah Guthrie was awesome. She was my favorite, like by a mile. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I just think it makes the most sense for the the sanctity of the show to have a contestant carry it on. And I, I really hope that they come to the decision that it's going to be Ken or somebody else who was on the show at one point because. Like, I I kind of agree that it doesn't need to be someone who has their own celebrity going into it. Um, but I just, I just don't think you can afford to have somebody who's that online anymore with everything that has happened. And, and then you look and you see a guy like James Holtzauer, who immediately mm-hmm. tweeted and made a joke about how Mike Richards, you're going to hire two people so you can see how the, the people view it and you could possibly take one away. Like, it, when you have former contestants that are well-known, like James Holtzauer, that's tweeting, mm-hmm. like, hey, that's not a good idea. Like, it, it, it's, it makes no sense. I, I don't understand what Sony yeah. was doing during this process. You have to consult people like James and Brad and Ken. And, and those guys would understand and know what makes the most sense for the show. Now I'm curious where they go because I think now they're bringing back the guest hosts. Who knows how long that's going to go before they decide to actually name a real host. I mean, are they going to go through NFL season and then decide to hire Aaron Rodgers? I mean, (laughs) honestly, who knows what's going on? It just feels like this whole episode is such a a black eye now on this show that I feel like they're going to lose viewers because of this whole controversy. Do you think that's a possibility? Absolutely. I think they were going to lose viewers anyway because of the transition from Trebek because, I mean, like we mentioned earlier, Trebek is just synonymous with the show itself. Uh, but I do think that there is, like, the thing with Jeopardy is that it's it's like an arbiter of truth, right? Like, it's, it's just like facts. Mm-hmm. You know, you can trust everything that's coming off of that show. And then you bring in these hosts who have their sordid backstories and, like, now you can no longer trust them and so you can't trust the show and it loses some of its magic so it's i hope that we look back on this as like the six months that we were worried about the fall of jeopardy and then like everything magically fixed again you know when ken jennings had two months to get used to the job but i i am worried because it's something that's so important to me like it was a lifelong dream to be on the show and i'm so grateful i got to do it before trebek passed away but like, I, I want that to mean what it did when I taped. I don't want it to be, you know, tinged by everything that has happened since. Yeah, I think that's very reasonable. And we are going to talk about your appearance on Jeopardy at some point. I promise you. It's not going to be in this episode. We've only got a certain amount of time um, before I've got to go help out with my kid. And I don't want to keep you too long. The Clippers start off their season October 21st against Golden State. So we are recording this one on August 25th. We've got two months, Sabrina, where we are going to pick a week and we are going to go a deep dive 
into your episode, and that's going to be one of these podcast episodes. I promise. I want to do it. I really want to do it. We just had to do this one and talk about some NBA stuff, and we had to talk about this whole Mike, Mike Richards controversy. But before you go, please tell everybody where they can read you, where they can hear you. Yeah, absolutely. So I covered the Clippers at SB Nation. You can read all my stuff at ClipsNation.com and follow me on Twitter at SabrinaJM. And then I also cover the WNBA. I have a new show on YouTube called The Step Through that comes out every week. So check that out. Awesome. So there you go. You can read and listen and watch Sabrina everywhere. She does a great job. She tweets about the NBA and WNBA and knows what she's talking about and love having her on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Sabrina, thank you so much. Yeah, looking forward to the next time. Well, always great having Sabrina on. Love talking Jeopardy with her. There are not many people I can have on this show and talk Jeopardy. And we just had to do it. Talk to Clippers schedule. Talk to the Pat Bev trade. Um, but had to get some Jeopardy talk in. Hope you enjoyed that because I know I did. And I hope you enjoy our friends over at Manscaped. Support for today's episode comes from Manscaped. They've got the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. Boy, I got to tell you, that lawnmower 4.0, it does a tremendous job. If you're trying to groom below the belt, don't look any further than the brand new lawnmower 4.0. 20% off and free shipping with the code HoopBall20 at manscaped.com. You trying to use those scissors to trim below the belt? Stop doing that. Stop getting those nicks and those cuts. Because I got to tell you, the lawnmower 4.0 reduces those nicks and cuts. It doesn't happen. I haven't had any. So far, they've got that multi-function on-off switch. It can engage in a travel lock, 4,000K LED spotlight on and off whenever you want a more precise tray. They've got shade. They've also got the additional guard lengths, sizes 1 to 4, to help trim to your liking. Please, go check it out. Tell me you love it, because I know that you will. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. 20% off, free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Calm. All right, hope you enjoyed that podcast. Not a whole lot um, going on now in the NBA universe. So we'll be back at some point, and we will chat Clippers basketball, perhaps maybe some Jeopardy at some point. Who knows what else we're going to chat on this pod. You can always follow me on Twitter, at BDMarcus, at Clips is the Twitter handle for this podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, until next time, I'm Brandon Marcus, and go Clips! This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.